Well, may the Lord bring peace to the people of Ukraine, huh? Boy, let's keep that in our prayers. Father, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Restore peace to that land in the name of Jesus and amen. I'm always thankful to be together in person or online. Really, really thankful. Warren Wearsby makes a great observation about this fifth chapter. Oh, if you haven't opened your Bibles, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 5. Click open your, your phones to Nehemiah 5. Wearsby says, look at this quote. It is important to note that the building of the wall did not create these problems. It revealed them. When Nehemiah went, things were rough. He knew, that's the whole reason he left where he was serving the king. But it wasn't until they began the building of the wall that some of these problems really began to surface. And number one is these families were losing. They were losing their footing because of a famine and unreasonable taxes. Some of these folks were in a world of hurt. In chapter 4, the opposition was external from the countries adjoining the lands of Judah and those countries' unruly governors. But in chapter 5, the problems are coming from within, internal problems. Now, I read this recently, and I'm not really sure if it's true or not, but it makes for a great point. And the point is this. I'm told that when thoroughbred horses are attacked, they form a circle facing each other with their hind end out, and that way they can kick their foes. In contrast, I'm told that donkeys do just the opposite. They face out, and they end up kicking the fire out of one another. Which is easier, to conquer and subdue an enemy who attacks us, or forgive and restore a friend who hurts us? What does Scripture say? Psalm 55, 12. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it's you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. That is what made this situation Nehemiah was facing so terrible. Because some of these poorer families were unable to make it through, see a way through this famine, they were forced to go to their neighbors, fellow wall builders, other families better equipped to handle the famine. They were forced to go to these wealthier families and ask them for help. Sounds good. Go to your neighbor, ask for help. Problem was, these wealthy families were greedy, and they were, they were so insensitive. They were ruthless. They forced these families who were struggling to mortgage all of their possessions, to borrow, to pay the taxes with loans with exorbitant interest rates. And when they gave away their lands and when they, they couldn't make those payments because of the interest, they did the worst thing of all. They said, well, you've got children. We'll take your children into slavery. Can you imagine being somewhere and working on the wall 
and looking down a few sections to a family who's wealthier, and then you see your kids with that family helping them out. I'm telling you, this book, when Nehemiah, when he heard and he saw what was happening, he was indignant. James Strachan said, He who is not angry at sin is not in love with virtue. Look at our text. We're at verse 6. Nehemiah says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are, char you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Did you notice Nehemiah's restraint in that? Before accusing the nobles and officials, before calling together the larger meeting, Nehemiah stops to ponder. He's slow to speak before thinking things over. He calms himself down before he utters a word. Lawrence Peter appropriately writes, Speak when you're angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. <laughs> Nehemiah gathers himself, no doubt spent some time in prayer. That seems to be his pattern, doesn't it? And then he calls the wealthy families out for their abuse of the other families. Pick up the text in verse 8. Then I called a big meeting to deal with them. I told them, we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners, and now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery? Do you see what happened? When Nehemiah first came over, he paid the debt to get all of these Jews out of debt so that they could come back. So they're all coming back, and then they go through these hard times, and their own Jewish brethren put them right back in it. Continue on with the text. Does that mean that we have to buy them back again? They say nothing. They said nothing. After Nehemiah asked that, they said nothing. What could they say? What you're doing is wrong, Nehemiah continues. Is there no fear of God left in you? Don't you care what the nations around here, our enemies, think of you? I and my brothers and the people are working for me, and the people working for me have also loaned them money. But this gouging them with interest has to stop. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes right now. And forgive your claims on their money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They said, we'll give it all back. We won't make any more demands on them. We'll do everything you say. Nehemiah says, then I called the priests together, made them promise to keep their word. Then I emptied my pockets, turning them inside out, and said, so may God empty the pockets and house of everyone who doesn't keep this promise. Turn inside out and emptied. Everyone gave a wholehearted yes, we'll do it, and praised God. And the people did what they promised. So the families were losing, and Nehemiah was indignant because change needed to happen. It was necessary. The internal problems were revealed, and what started out as cries of abuse turned into shouts of worship. I read something last week. It's called, How to Turn a Disagreement into a Feud. You ready for this? Here's number one. 
Be sure to develop and maintain a healthy fear of conflict, letting your own feelings build up so you are in an explosive frame of mind. Number two, if you must state your concerns, be as vague, as gen vague and general as possible. Then the other person cannot do anything practical to change the situation. Number three, assume you know all the facts and you are totally right. The use of a clinching Bible verse is helpful. Speak prophetically for truth and justice. Do most of the talking. Number four, with a touch of defiance, announce your willingness to talk with anyone who wishes to discuss the problem with you, but do not take steps to initiate such conversation. Number five, latch tenaciously onto whatever evidence you can find that shows the other person is merely jealous of you. Number six, judge the motivation of the other party on any previous experience that showed failure or unkindness. Keep track of any angry words. Number seven, if the discussion should, alas, become serious, view the issue as a win-lose struggle. Avoid possible solutions and go for total victory and unconditional surrender. Don't get too many options on the table. And finally, number eight, Pass the buck. If you're about to get cornered into a solution, indicate you are without power to settle. You need your partner, spouse, bank, whatever. How you can turn a disagreement into a feud. Well, I found another article on how to be miserable. You ready for this? Number one, think about yourself. Two, talk about yourself. Three, use I as often as possible. Four, mirror yourself continually in the opinion of others. Five, listen greedily to what other people say about you. Six, be suspicious. Seven, expect to be appreciated. Eight, be jealous and envious. Nine, be sensitive to slights. Ten, never forget a criticism. Eleven, trust nobody but yourself. Twelve, insist on consideration and the proper respect. Thirteen, Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Fourteen, sulk if people are not grateful for your favors. Fifteen, never forget a service you may have rendered. Sixteen, be on the outlook for a good time for yourself. Seventeen, shirk your duties if you can. Eighteen, do as little as possible for others. Nineteen, love yourself supremely. Twenty, be selfish. It's a guaranteed recipe to make your life miserable. Okay, tongue-in-cheek for sure. What not to do when you encounter internal problems. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, has an interesting practice they use for anyone who comes to place membership. He gets a group of them together and he says, now listen, I charge you that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, another pastor, an usher, choir member, or anyone else, he looks at these new members and he says, you have now the authority to stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it Pastor Cimbala? Let's go to his office right now. He'll get on his knees and apologize to you, and then we'll pray together so God can restore peace to this body. But we will not let you talk critically about people who are not present to defend themselves. 
I want you to help resolve this kind of thing immediately. And meanwhile, know this. If you are ever the one doing the loose talking, we will confront you. Symbola went on to say, I know what most easily destroys churches. It is not crack cocaine. It is not government oppression. It is not even lack of funds. Rather, it is gossip and slander that grieves the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what, that is a powerful step in the protection of the unity of a congregation of believers. Before we close, let me, let me share one more detail from this chapter. The appointed governors to Judah before Nehemiah, they all took advantage of their position by taxing the people for their own pleasure. Nehemiah never did. Look at verse 14. From the time Artaz King Artaxerxes appointed me as their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th to the 32nd year of his reign, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers used the governor's food allowance. Governors who had preceded me had oppressed the people by taxing them 40 shekels of silver, about a pound a day, for food and wine, while their underlings bullied the people unmercifully. But out of fear of God, I did none of that. I had work to do. I worked on this wall. All my men were on the job to do the work. We didn't have time to line our own pockets. I didn't use the food allowance provided for the governor. The people had it hard enough as it was. Have you noticed that if we receive a reprimand from someone that, we, that, we, that doesn't walk the talk, you know what I'm talking about? If I receive a reprimand from someone who doesn't walk the talk, it pretty much just goes in one ear and out the other, you know, whatever. But if I receive a word of instruction or rebuke or reprimand from somebody that treats me kindly, and has shown me unreasonable love and grace, well, I'll tell you what, I receive that. I receive that word. Marquis de Lafayette was a general and a politician who joined the American Revolution and was a personal friend of our own President George Washington. He was a wealthy, influential man both in the United States and in France. He's also a man of compassion the harvest in 1782 was rough in America. Even so, the manager of Lafayette's estate was able to fill Lafayette's barns with wheat. And the manager told him, the bad harvest has raised the price of wheat. This is the time to sell. Lafayette thought about the hungry folk all around him in the villages, and he said, no, no. No, this, this is the time to give. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? We cry out to him when we're being mistreated, when there's nowhere to get away or to hide, and just when we think he's left us, we find him loving and holding and healing and saving us. Father, instill these principles that we are learning from this ancient document into our own lives where internal 
problems exist into our homes, into our marriages, into our raising our kids, into our parents, into our school, into our workplace. Use us, make us into peacemakers so that we can be your children. Hear us, Father, we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen.